0: This is One in 44, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 44 is a weekly show devoted to autism spectrum disorder.
1: Good morning and welcome to One in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning I'm speaking with Anderson parent and uh, long-term supporter of Anderson's work, Chip Lowenson. Good morning, Chip. Good morning, Eliza. It's great to have you on the show. It's been a while. Uh, we've been trying to get to this point, um, and I'm, I'm thrilled that you're with us today. Uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing you and, and your wife, Susan, um, and your family for a number of years now. Um, and uh, your son, Henry, is, is here at Anderson, and uh, that's kind of how we met. So I'd love to just start with uh, asking you to introduce yourself again and tell us a little bit about your background.
0: Okay, sure. Uh, so I'm, my wife is Susan Bruni. We have three wonderful children. Henry's the oldest. Henry's now 25. We also have twins, George and Irene, who are about to turn 23. Uh, so Henry was, was diagnosed when he was three years old. And for many years, he attended a school in Manhattan, where we live. The school was called, started off being called the McCartan School, changed its name to the Keswell School, a school. It was in Chelsea, uh, recently moved to the Lower East Side. But when he went there, it was in Chelsea. And it was founded in 2002 by um, a, a group of parents who had kids on the spectrum. And it was a, still is, a wonderful school as Henry got older into his sort of mid to later teen years, we were thinking about um, Henry's long-term plans. And I know some families uh, want to keep their kids at home and they do that and successfully. And I fully understand that. We thought that just looking at the long-term, it was better that Henry Find a place where he could be living, not on his own because uh, he's not going to be living independently, but to move out of the house. Um, he was—he's 25, and like a lot of 25-year-olds, um, our sense was that you know he wouldn't want to be living at home uh, for the rest of his life. And also, it's you know when you think about you think about it in actuarial terms, um, most of our kids, when we I guess we all hope this is the case, are going to outlive us, and so. Um, we thought that, as you know as we get older, it might be harder for us to take care of Henry, or when we 're no longer around he 'll be in the good care of the Anderson Center.
1: thank you for that background i can 't believe he 's twenty five um so that's that 's quite a milestone uh let me let me um if you don 't mind just go back a little bit to what you said really in the very beginning there um so so henry is twenty five George and irene your twin twins are twenty three or about to turn twenty three and henry was diagnosed at 3 years old which if i'm doing my math correctly henry was diagnosed when you had twin 1 year olds well they were around uh, then i was rounding they were they were 6 weeks old when he was diagnosed wow so so if you, i mean i know we were going to talk a little bit and, and you you really generously offered to kind of talk about Your and and Susan and the rest of the family's experience um, and Henry's experience kind of all the way through and maybe offer some some advice um, along the way. So maybe let's start there. You're, You're a young family. You have tiny little six week old twins. Um and you have Henry who's still very young and basically in his toddler stages still. So when I speak to families, um the diagnosis, I, I hear from families often that the diagnosis can be both a blessing and 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 I won't say a curse, but but in but it's it's hard, obviously. But for some families, they talk about how it's a relief to finally have a name to something that they've been sort of feeling for a few years was was different or off or or they couldn't tell what was going on. Would 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 you comment on whether that was something that was similar for you and Susan? Did you kind of have red flags and, and need to know what was happening?
0: Well, we looking back on it, maybe we were a little clueless, um, mm-hmm. but there were a, a couple things that threw us off. One was you know as as Henry was. Becoming two and a half and then three, we were pregnant with twins. And so I think that kind of distracted us from we sure. focusing on other things. The other thing is that Henry had, like a lot of kids on the spectrum, he had a, a certain splinter skill. He had something that's called hyperlexia. He was very advanced with um, with letters and spelling. And it was kind of odd because he he was more verbal at three. And then he, as happens with a lot of kids on the spectrum, he lost some skills from like age three to five and five or six. Okay, But so we thought that he was, you know, he, he, he was doing quite well, but it was just this um, he had this fascination with letters and numbers. He still does somewhat, but he's lost Ooh. some of that. So we were, we didn't, um, he, he was late to reach a number of his developmental milestones. So that was that, could be an early warning sign, but also people will tell you, you know, boys often will develop later. Yeah, he, he was also our first child, so yeah. we didn't have a baseline. Um, if he had been our third child, I think we would have picked up on things sooner.
1: Hmm. Interesting. I appreciate your your perspective on that. I was just sort of feeling for, um, you know, parents of, of three all very young children. And, and it must've been an overwhelming um, period, but it also sounds like, so, so, so your story about, you know, having him attend McCartan, then Caswell and then coming to Anderson, I think is also um, it's also an experience that certainly many of, of other Anderson center families can uh, relate to mostly because uh, you know, there is, there is, there is a decision that has to be made somewhere along that way. And you kind of put it into words around how you and Susan were looking at it, which is the decision, which is a huge one to pursue a residential placement for your child, often at a younger age than, you know, 18, 19, 20, going off to maybe a college setting or something or living more independently. So, um, is, is there something that you would share as, as maybe um, advice to a family who might be starting to realize that they're facing that decision about whether to or not to or to be looking someplace really close to home or be open to a, a longer maybe commute to find an appropriate placement? I mean, it's I, I, I would think there's so many things involved in that decision. What would you say to families in in that situation right now?
0: Yeah, there, there are a lot of factors and it's a very personal decision and it depends on a lot of things that are going on uh, in in the family Our, the, what drove it the most for us was thinking what was best long term for Henry and, and I guess not just for Henry but also for the for the rest of the family because mm-hmm. you know when you're raising a disabled child you know all, all parents are just you know throw everything into it they can a lot of their energy a lot of uh, financial resources, a lot of your time, but you also uh, have to think that, you know, other people have lives too. So other, other, the siblings, but also the parents that, you know, life doesn't end when a child is diagnosed with autism. And we, I don't think it's selfish for a parent to think, well, if, if, um, if I find a wonderful placement like the Anderson center for my child, um for anyone who has a child on the spectrum you would know that um you're the the a huge weight is lifted off your shoulders you have a you've been granted a level of independence that you haven't had for a long long time mm-hmm. but we that was just a you know a lesser factor the most important thing was what we thought was best for henry long term you know, we, like a lot of parents, thought that, well, we love him more than anyone else could, so we'll give him the tender, loving care uh, that no, uh, no residential placement could. But we we found uh, in the Anderson Center a, a very humane, understanding um, institution and staff. Uh, it's, a, it's an organization that understands autism because that's what it does. Yeah. So we never once have gotten a distress call from Anderson saying you wouldn't believe what Henry just did. And, you know, we tried one other short-term residential placement before this, they weren't, they didn't understand autism as well. And I doubted that it was going to work. And I was right. It didn't work because Mm -hmm. they weren't ready for it. The Mm -hmm. Anderson center is ready for everything and has, treated Henry and us uh, in, a, in a way that we're just so thankful for.
1: Well, I appreciate those kind words. And so will any of the the team members at Anderson who are hearing this. Um, they do, I think, go out of their way every day to understand and to, to help seek answers. And I think one word um, that came to mind while you were speaking is, is partnership. Um, we, our logo is these three little, um, these three people. Um, and uh, and our family liaison, Colleen, who who works in my department, uh, talks very frequently about what that means to her, and it and it really is sort of the partnership between um, the family, Anderson, and either the student or adult who's who's here with us, and. Um, and I like that because I think, you know, I get to sort of see that every day being here. And um, and so I appreciate those kind words. Um, hopefully, if a, if a team member is calling and saying you won't believe what Henry did, they're saying it because it's something absolutely amazing or funny or wonderful and loving and caring, um, because we do want to be that partner with families. Um, and, and you're right to point out that we do also uh, since the gosh, the late the late 1990s, I think, early 2000s, have really developed a, a very specific focus on uh, on autism and our orientation and our ongoing trainings and our education and our, um, experience, uh, has really grown from that. So we've become quite a unique place and, um, and we're all really proud of that. Um, on that note, we're going to go into a break in just a minute. I wanted to stop and thank you again for your, uh, support of Anderson. Um, you and Susan have been longtime supporters of our, uh, of our programs, um, and have been uh, our lead sponsor for our gala, which comes up every fall, um, which is a great opportunity to get involved and to learn more about the program and have a, and have a, a good night. And we appreciate very much your support. Um, it helps us do what we do. So we
0: are, we are very happy to help. It's a cause that is near and dear.
1: <laughs> Absolutely and and we we love seeing so many families come out for that event. Um, we're gonna take a short break, but when we come back, I'd love for you to to continue with your words of wisdom and advice and and you know I think that families listening to other families having gone through a lot of what they're facing, maybe with a newer diagnosis or or maybe a child in elementary age right now is really helpful. So we'll come back and have more of that. This is One in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No,
0: I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers
1: have best friends?
0: I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that.
1: Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa.
0: Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. And now, 1 in 44 continues on 100.7 WHUD. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism.
1: Welcome back to 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozinski, and I'm talking with uh, Anderson parent, Chip Lowenson, um, who has been sharing some words of, of advice and wisdom about um your family, about Henry, about decisions that you and your wife, Susan, um, have made up for the last 25 years since Henry is 25. Um, So uh, before we started, you shared a story, um, a couple of things you mentioned about some advice that was given to you, um, and also kind of um, a story that some people may have heard before that that is designed to um, make some, some, I think, broad comparisons to an experience. Uh, compared to um, some people's experience getting ready for the birth of a child and then sort of going through the process of understanding that that child uh, may be on the autism spectrum. So I'd invite you to share either of those or both of them. Um, You know, I think families will really appreciate it. So I'll, I'll start off
0: with our experience right after Henry was diagnosed. It was the spring of 2000. Uh, Henry, Henry was diagnosed in was late April, early May of 2000. Six weeks earlier, uh, we had uh, two wonderful twins, George and Irene, uh, <laughs> delivered into this world. So it was a pretty busy time for us. And as with, the, I'm sure it's true of a lot of parents of children with autism, the, the new diagnosis was difficult to hear. Uh, it's It's actually helpful to have a a label on it to um, understand better what you're facing but also it assists in getting uh, insurance coverage for depending on your policy of course but also getting uh, early in- intervention services. Um, but we were um, pretty darn upset the way, you know, as you'd expect, as you know, other parents of, of kids on the spectrum know. And I was quite lucky to get advice from a good friend uh, who had two daughters on the spectrum, and he he said, "Look, you just have to re- remember three things. First, it's okay. Uh, it's not the end of the world." It's going to be a real challenge, but there's it's something you can handle, and other aspects of life go on. Mm -hmm. And and so, I guess the other story I'll tell is related to that first point, uh, which is it's okay. Right. The second point, the second piece of advice was get lots of services with an autism diagnosis you can get a, a lot of, uh, depending on the age, either early intervention services or other educational services. It also depends somewhat on your school district. Um, New York City has a well-earned reputation for being not very good when it comes to education of it's on the spectrum. And I'm sure there's important historical reasons for that. But the sad truth is New York City doesn't do a good job. There are a lot of other school districts, certainly in in suburban school districts. I know in Westchester, a lot of them do an excellent job so that IEP meetings are exactly what they're supposed to be, which is a collaboration among the parents, the teachers, the school district to find what's best for the child. In my experience, IEP meetings with in New York city were like barroom brawls and there were, yeah, it was just not, it's not the way it's supposed to be. So we wound up litigating with New York city almost every year. Uh, Susan and I are both lawyers. So that, that helped. And after a couple of years of having another lawyer do it, we just um, did it ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we had to, we had to fight somewhat for the services. Um, But uh, I remember the early intervention services were easier. Uh, maybe yeah. the, fundi- the funding stream may be different, uh, but that was uh, easier to obtain. And you want to get a lot of services, particularly when kids are young, because it can really make a difference. Sure. Um, speech therapy, occupational therapy, uh, physical therapy, counseling, and including you know counseling for the for the for the parents. Um, so that's those are the first two rules. The first one, it's okay. The second one, get lots of services, and the third one, which is really important told me take care of yourself Mm. Uh, that you have to keep in keep in mind that raising a disabled child is a marathon it's not a sprint and so in the beginning it's natural that you're going to stay up late researching it on the internet and buying a lot of the books that uh, you know some are better than others talking to friends and also going to a lot of um, professionals doctors neurologists um, uh, some uh, that specialize in epilepsy, if that's if that's an issue, and then all the the, the different therapists, the speech therapist, the occupational therapist, yep. the all you know that that whole thing. So it's it does take a lot up a lot of your time. It is a real challenge, like no challenge I've had in life. But you do want to realize that life goes on, and particularly if you have other kids. You still have to pay attention to them. Sure, Susan and I both kept our jobs. That's you know, the one thing that I would recommend to parents. Uh, it, and, and every family situation is different, so I don't want to be too prescriptive. But if you can keep your jobs, that's a good thing, both to help to have financial resources, but also to give you something else to focus on. I mean, you're going to spend a lot, a lot of time focusing on helping out your disabled child but i've found that and i've we you know we know a lot of families of kids on the spectrum that if people don't have other things to focus on it can really consume you if you um if you don't have other things and even if it's not a job maybe it's just keeping other interests whether it's working out or being in a reading group or Uh, You know, being part of your church or synagogue. It's just um, you you don't want to drop everything to just focus on this, because I think that can that can really wear you down.
1: Yeah, it can consume you probably.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So those are my friends, three rules.
1: All right. And they've served you well, it seems. It's okay. Get lots of services and take care of yourself. All right. I think that that's, that's, uh, that's great advice for, um, for people listening and, um, and, and, and what a nice gift that your friend gave you at a, at a pretty startling time with the the brand new twins and the brand new diagnosis of your, your first child. Um, we, have, we only have a couple minutes left. We have about a little under five minutes, but you told me another story. Um, and if you'd like to share that one that, like you said, sort of relates back to that it's okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I saw um, a, a short I don't know if it was a poem or just a short essay posted on the wall in the in the waiting room of an occupational therapist. Um, and it goes something like this, um, that having a, uh, a disabled child is a, a little bit like this following fable where you're planning a trip to Italy And you buy the guidebooks and you learn a little Italian and you look forward to going to see Michelangelo's David in Florence and riding the gondolas in Venice. And that's kind of like planning to have a child. You have a dream of what it's going to be like. But then when you get on the plane in this story and when the plane is landing, the pilot tells you that you're not going to be landing in Rome. Instead, you're going to Amsterdam. And you say, well, wait a minute, I, you know, I've been dreaming all this time of going to Rome, you know, all the, all the parents I know are going on this trip to Rome. And so there, there you are in Amsterdam. And so initially, you're quite disappointed. But you realize after you spend some time there that uh, Amsterdam has much to recommend it. There, um, there are, you know, windmills and tulips and wonderful food and even many Rembrandts. And so the experience is very different. Uh, just like the experience of having a disabled child is very different from having a typical child, but we have met uh, wonderful caregivers along the way, doctors, therapists, other parents, and now you know uh, we've met a lot of wonderful people at the Anderson Center. So it's very enriching in that way. You know, a lot of our good friends now are have have uh, disabled children there is a certain um, shared experience that's, that's quite important. So even though, you know, you're not going on your dream trip to Italy, um, going to Amsterdam is different, but can also be uh, quite interesting. And I would just say that, you know, some, some people don't like that story because they think it sugarcoats the experience too much of raising an autistic child because Amsterdam is a truly wonderful place. Mm-hmm. And raising an autistic child, as you know, many of the listeners will know, is a huge challenge. It's, and so I don't mean to be uh, frivolous or to sugarcoat it too much by saying, "Oh, it's just like going on vacation to Amsterdam." It's not. It's an immense challenge. It's hard work. Um, but I think it's um, it, the the that story of the trip to Amsterdam. Illustrates the the first point from my friend, which is it's okay.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that and and for recognizing you know where some where some of it can be interpreted in different ways. But the other thing that comes to mind when you share that story for me is um, is really the piece about shared experiences and community and um, connectivity. And and I would add one. One additional piece to that, which is for siblings um, and the friends of siblings, the people coming and going from your home as your child with autism is, is living there and, and growing up. It has a profound effect on everybody in your community and everybody in your neighborhood and everybody in your family. And it can be hard on everybody. But also um, there are I, I've heard this from you and from other families, too, that there are things um, even even, you know, just that, that the next generation of children and young people will bring to their lives because they've benefited from being related to or knowing somebody on the autism spectrum. So I I do think that there's a lot of um, good stuff there in, in both of those stories. Um, With that, we are, we are out of time. Um, Chip Lowenson, I want to thank you and, and your wife Susan um, and your whole family for just being wonderful and really supportive of Anderson. Um, I want to thank you for your recognition of the team here at Anderson. um, And I want to echo that. And just thank you for sharing your advice and your experience with uh, with our listeners today. Thanks for having me.
0: It's
1: been my pleasure. This is One in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and remember, Anderson cares.
0: You've been listening to One in 44, a weekly presentation of the Anderson Center
1: for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at this time next weekend.